So this last week, uh, I was with our youth group at summer camp, uh, and we had a blast. Uh, We had a lot of adventures and journeys and a lot of things that uh, we bonded together with. Um, There was one experience, though, that really stood out to me uh, in a funny way. It involved the boys' bathroom. I can't believe I'm sharing this story on Sunday morning, but what do you get with the youth pastor, right? Um, so our, our dorms, the areas where we slept in, uh, were divided into two sections. Uh, the one section on the left was for the girls, and the girls had their bunk beds, a big area for them, and they had their showers and their bathrooms. And then on the other side, uh, the boys had their restrooms and their sleeping area. Um, and somehow, uh, we plugged up three out of the four toilets in the area in our dorm. You boys know who you are. Um, when it came to cleaning the camp up on the last day, uh, one of our students, a brave young man, went up there with a plunger to go unplug all of these toilets. And I'm not going to get into details. It was disgusting. It was nasty. It was, uh, it was awful. There was stuff all over the toilet. There was stuff on the walls. Uh, let's just say the toilets backfired. And I wasn't up there when this was happening. Uh, Ronnie Dawson, our leader, oh, one of our leaders, he's a college student, he came running down to me and he's telling me, uh, it's a disaster up there, it's disgusting, it smells terrible. He said, it is a war zone up there. His exact words is that it's Hiroshima all over again. The, the boys cleaned it up and I finally got up there. Uh, and I stepped in there. I mean, it's, the, the toilets are clean, but I stepped into the uh, boys' dorm, and it smelt terrible, awful. It was disgusting. My, I was gagging. I was coughing. My eyes were watering. I ran out of there. Uh, within a few minutes, you know, a couple of the guys and I were just standing outside and looking at this uh, battle zone, so to speak. Uh, and then I saw two girls in the boys' dorm uh, sweeping and mopping, And I realized that uh, before uh, Hiroshima, uh, I had asked these girls to to clean and to sweep and to mop both dorms. And I saw them in there, and one of the girls was covering her nose, and the other one just looked like she was like about to faint because of the smell. And I'm sitting there telling them, get out of there. It's not worth it. It stinks too much. And, I, and I'm telling them, I'm saying, you know, honestly, this is camp. No one really needs to be that clean. clean. It, it's not worth sitting in there for that period of time. And then I see one of the girls, she's sweeping up this nice, clean pile. Uh, and I went up and I grabbed the broom from her. And I was like, this is how we're going to deal with this now. And so I just started pushing the dirt around. <laughs> then she grabs the broom from me and says, Philip, no. Everything you do, do it as if you're doing for the Lord. And I was so happy. I was so proud. It was just the night before we had talked about just that, about what it means for us to love God with all our heart and all our life and all our soul and with all our strength means that in everything we do, we do it as if we are serving God. And both of these girls are then telling me, if this was Jesus' house, wouldn't you want to make sure it was clean? Right, and I realized at that point in time, these girls, uh, this uh, job, what they were doing at this moment, it was no longer about them just 
uh, cleaning it because I had asked them to. It was no longer about just our youth group getting our full deposit back from the camp. I realized that for them, they took this and they said, this job, I, I'm now, I'm doing this as if I'm doing it for the Lord, that, that I understand my calling in this. As Christians, uh, Jesus has called each and every one of us that in everything we do, we serve God and we seek his kingdom. No matter how big the job is, no matter how small the job is, no matter how clean the job is or how disgusting the job is, we are called to serve God in that. And today we're going to be looking at Jesus' call for us to seek first his kingdom. Before we do, why don't we pray first. Heavenly Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the opportunities you give us to gather together as a group, as a community, and be able to worship you, to study your word, to reflect on it, and find the ways that it applies to our life. God, right now I ask that you open our hearts, you open our minds, you help us to examine ourselves and figure out the ways in which we can be changed. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So today we're going to be reading uh, from Matthew chapter 6, starting on verse 19. And this is uh, right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, one of Jesus' most famous sermons. And on verse 19, uh, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, is, there your heart will be also. It's really important for us to understand what exactly uh, Jesus means here by treasure. Uh, If you're like me, you have kind of a childlike mind. And maybe you've seen parts of the Caribbean one too many times. You hear the word treasure and you think of a giant chest full of gold and, and golden goblets and necklaces and things like that. Uh, but Jesus doesn't just mean uh, money. Right? He's talking about the treasures of our hearts, the things that we put our heart on. It, the, our treasures are the things that we seek after the most. They're the things that we put our heart on. They're the things that we, we want, we yearn for, we hunger for, we long for. Uh, They're not only the things that we have, but they're the things we're searching for, the things we're looking at, the things we're reaching for. Our treasures are the things we seek most. And Jesus is telling us to not let our heart settle on things on this world, to not let ourselves treasure things of this world, because they will not last. Let's read on. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? He's given us a great imagery here of how the eye is the lamp of the body. Uh, And the eye is, I mean, that's the point. That's the thing that we use to look at something, to focus in on something, to 
to, to, to really examine it, uh, the eyes, our eyes are focused on our treasures. Right? Our eyes are focused on our treasures. Um, and Jesus says, whatever our eyes are focusing on, whatever our treasures are, our whole body will shift towards that, will move towards that. Our lives will begin to be moved towards the directions of the things we want. Our treasures have a way of directing our lives. They have a way of moving our lives. Uh, Whenever I read this verse, I always think of uh, how a horse is steered and directed uh, when it has a rider on it. Um, I grew up uh, working with horses and training horses and and you know, there's this thing you put on the horse's head. It's called the bridle. And right where its mouth is, there's this thing, you, the bit, and it goes inside the horse's mouth. And then attached to the bit are two reins. And those are the things that the horse, I mean, the, the rider holds on to in order to direct the horse. And so what the rider does is, if they want the horse to go to the right, they pull on the right lane, and it causes the horse to shift its head to the right. And if it wants it to go to the left, it pulls the left, left rein, and it causes the horse to look to the left. And like people, horses have a tendency to walk in the direction that they are looking at. Whatever they're looking at, they begin to walk in that direction. But horses aren't born uh, trained like this, right? If you were to just take a horse before it's trained, and you throw a saddle on, you put the bridle on, you hop on it, you're going to get bucked off. Right? I mean, horses, just like people, don't like being told what to look at. Right? So what you have to do with a horse is you have to do what they call break the horse. Right? And it's this, it's this training period where you teach it to be directed. You teach it how to be ridden. You teach it to be able to understand your command that when you pull the right rein, the horse goes right, or when you pull the left rein, the horse goes to the left. Jesus, like a horse trainer is trying to break us. He's trying to teach us to be able to respond to his command to not look at the things of this world so that he could be teaching us and guiding us and he could be gently pulling on our right rein to be able to shift our focus and to look at the things that we ought to be looking at. He's trying to redirect the treasures of our heart. He's trying to redirect the things that we are seeking and the things that we are looking at so that he can redirect our lives. That he can change the direction of our lives. Uh, God has steered my life in a number of ways. Um, I look back and I think about four years ago when I was in seminary. I remember people would ask me uh, whether or not I wanted to do youth ministry. And I was very strong to say no. I I, I did not believe that I would be doing youth ministry... You can ask my wife, Nicole. Uh, there were many times we had this conversation, and I was, I was very strong to say, no, I, I don't think I'm going to be in youth ministry. I actually remember arguing with some people about it. They were saying, oh, you should be more open. I was like, no, nope, I know. I'm not doing youth ministry. Well, I'm a youth pastor now. So, uh, But part of it is, is I did have the wrong idea. I thought that you know youth pastors had a certain set of skills, and I realized, oh, I didn't have those skills. Um, but... That really wasn't the real issue. I think the truth is, I actually just didn't want to. I just, at the time, I really didn't have a desire to. It wasn't something that I was passionate about. Instead, uh, at that time, I was very passionate, I was very interested uh, in academics. Uh, my thought was is that I was going to go get a PhD in philosophy or theology, and I wanted to be teaching. 
Um, that's where I felt comfortable. That's what I wanted to do. That's, that was the thing that was at the center of my heart at the time, was academics. And there was even a part of me that, uh, in that moment in my life, that I actually liked the idea of having a PhD. I thought that would make me sound a little bit more prestigious. And I think I kind of yearned that to some extent. But as funny as it is, the very first thing God had me do, right out of seminary, is he placed me in a church working with youth. Uh, It was just a few months that we were there that God ignited something in me. He gave me a passion. He helped me see something. Uh, He grabbed me by the reins and steered my head a little bit away. He helped me take the focus off of my own pride and my desire to make myself look better. And he helped me figure out what it means to truly serve. And I just looked through these last couple of years. I mean, just this last year, uh, God has brought me to such a great love for the students at this church. It was just on a Wednesday night as Nicole and I were coming home after dropping off all the students She and I were just talking about how much we've fallen in love with each and every student here. And it's just amazing to see that God has just, because of him breaking me, him pulling on my reins to the right, him redirecting my focus, changed the entire direction of my life. Are you currently willing to be broken by God? Are you willing to let God change the focus and the treasures of your heart right now? And perhaps you need to start off by asking, what are the things you treasure right now? What are the things that you hold most valuable? What are the things you're seeking above everything else? Is it really God's kingdom? Or is there something else right now that sits on the throne of your heart? And if there is, are you willing to be moved by God? Uh, The very next thing that Jesus says is very important. He says, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And Jesus makes this extremely, extremely clear for us. Uh, Either we are seeking first God God's kingdom, and God's righteousness, or there's something else in our life that we're seeking. If you have a passion and a desire for something in this world, if you're, if you're caught up with seeking something in this world, then God is not the thing that you're seeking first. And Jesus takes this next step to even say, the things we treasure, the things we seek after, are the masters of our lives. And this fits very well with everything Jesus just said. Our treasures have a way of guiding us. Our treasures have a way of leading us, of directing our lives, of steering our lives. There cannot be two things directing us. It's either God or it's something in this world. It's one or the other. Jesus makes it clear that the things we treasure, the things that we seek after most, have a way of directing our lives. Let's keep reading. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put, in, put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, 
They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. And I want, to, I want you guys to all notice something very, very important. Jesus starts this, this, this section off by saying, therefore. Now, I'm a, in part, I'm a philosopher, right? I, I, I'm working on a degree in philosophy. I read a lot of philosophy. I write a lot of philosophy. Uh, and, and philosophers, a word like therefore, it, it just, it's a spotlight word. It really gets us to stop and to ask, okay, uh, why did they just use this word? It means that uh, what follows logically follows and concludes from the thing that was just said. A lot of people want to uh, separate this, these two sections. They want to say that um, Jesus is talking about one thing. He's talking about not storing up treasures on this earth. And then he's talking about something else, about not being anxious. But I actually think that uh, Jesus says this in the word, therefore, intentionally, that Jesus' command to not worry flows from his command to not store up treasures on this earth. I actually think Jesus says, therefore, because treasuring things of this earth, or sorry, being worried and anxious is a product of treasuring things on this earth. When we allow ourselves to desire and to seek and to make the things of this earth our highest priority, we give ourselves opportunity to be worried, to be anxious, to be afraid of not having those things or of losing those things in our life. Now, Jesus tells us to not be anxious about what we eat, what we, what we will drink, and what we will wear, because he doesn't want us to be focused on those things. He doesn't want those things to be the treasures of our life, the things that value are so valuable to us. He wants something else to hold that seat in our lives. One of the things that I admire so much about Jesus is that I think he understands the human condition, the human mind, the human heart better than anyone else. I mean, Jesus understands people really, really, really well. Uh, and he understands right now in the midst of the sermon that we tend to worry about the things we value the most. I mean, you don't worry about things you don't care about. Right? If you don't care about how you look, you won't worry about how you look. Uh, if you don't care about what your boss thinks of you, you won't, you won't worry about what your boss thinks of you. If you're not worried about your reputation or your family's reputation, then those are not going to be the things you worry about. You worry about the things that really are valuable to you, the things that you really treasure, the things that you're really seeking after. Jesus understands people really, really well. He understands that there is a correlation and a connection between the things we treasure and the things we worry about, the things we seek after 
and the things we're anxious over. Jesus understands this really well. For Jesus, when we seek after the wrong things, when we have our hearts and we have our minds and we have the treasures of our lives or things in this world, we give ourselves opportunity to be worried. When we're valuing the wrong thing, when we treasure the wrong things, I believe we give ourselves opportunities to be worried about those things. And Jesus is trying to fix that in us. He's trying to get us to not be worried about those things. Up until now, though, uh, you might have picked up on that Jesus is only telling us what we should not do and what we cannot do. That's mostly what he said. He he said, don't uh, treasure the things of this world. You cannot serve two masters. Don't be anxious. Don't worry about these things. And now finally, Jesus gets to the climax of all of this. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. This one statement is, is such a powerful statement. Uh, some think that it's uh, the central claim, his thesis for the entire Sermon on the Mount. Some even say it's his, one of his major claims of his entire ministry. That as Christians, this is, a, this is the core of what it means to be a Christian, to seek first God's kingdom. Uh, what exactly does it mean to seek first God's kingdom? I believe it means that we make God's kingdom the very treasure of our lives. That we make God's kingdom, God, and God's righteousness the thing we hunger after more than anything else. The thing we yearn to see. The thing that we are willing to give up everything else to have. The thing that we call our master the thing that we allow to steer our heads and direct our lives. To uh, to seek first God's kingdom uh, means in part that everything we do, we do for that purpose. We do to see God's kingdom grow. That our entire lives evolve around this one thing, God and his kingdom. I want you to imagine a, uh, a bicycle wheel. Um, if you notice on a bicycle wheel, you can't really see it here, but you know we have all those, those metal wires and they, they bridge right to the center. And at the very center of a bicycle wheel, uh, it's what we call the hub, the hub of a wheel. Uh, in order for a bicycle to run smoothly, to work the way it should work, the hub has to be in the very center of the wheel. Uh, if the hub was just, say, a quarter of an inch off, Right? It would be an extremely bumpy ride. Right? If you'd be riding it, you'd be going up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. It would be extremely, extremely bumpy. If it was off, say, about an inch, uh, it probably the bike wouldn't even be able to move. The wheel would get stuck in the, the frame of the bike. Right? In order for the bike to, to ride the way it should ride, in order for it to be, have a smooth ride, the hub has to be at the very center of the wheel. I think this gives us a pretty decent idea of what Jesus is telling us about where the kingdom of God should be in our hearts. It should be at the very center of our lives. The very center of everything we do, everything should evolve around that. Every action we make should be done for the purpose of seeking God's kingdom. For the purpose of seeing God and his righteousness, both in this world and in the next.
but if you're like me, uh, there are times in your life uh, where, where your ride, so to speak, gets a little bumpy. There are times where uh, you get worried, you get anxious, you get worried, uh, afraid. There are things that just make you feel uncomfortable. There are things that just uh, make your life just not the smooth way that you hope, smooth ride that you would hope it would be. I tend to find that when I'm most afraid, when I'm most worried, when I'm most anxious about things, that's actually a great time for me to just stop and evaluate what exactly is at the hub of my life. If I'm worried about my finances, I'm worried about my house, I'm worried about relationships, I'm worried about my job, my job performance, I'm worried about something like that, then it's probably the case that something else has shifted the hub of my life. That God no longer sits at the very center. That somehow I let my own pride, my ego, my treasure somehow sneak into the center. I think when our life starts to get bumpy, I think it's a great time to really ask ourselves, am I truly seeking God first? When I start worrying about finances, I really got to ask myself, in my finances, am I truly seeking God first? I know we have a lot of teachers, and a lot of teachers can, can get caught up and worried about students' opinions of them, or maybe students' parents, right? And I think sometimes when we get worried about what other people are thinking about us, like our, our, our uh, students or our students' parents, I think sometimes it's a great time for you to ask, am I really seeking God first in this right now? Um... It was a, a one Tuesday a few nights back, or a few weeks back, forgive me. Um, something happened at our Tuesday night youth group. It was really small, really stupid. 99% of the people wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't think twice about it. But something happened that caused me to stop and question myself and my ability as a youth pastor. I started uh, worrying and thinking about whether or not uh, I was making students happy, and I was making parents happy, and I was just thinking, am I really doing a good job as a youth pastor? I started really focusing in on myself. Um, I ignored it. It was the early of the Tuesday night, uh, the earlier part of the Tuesday night, and I ignored it, pushed it aside, uh, and then I got home, uh, and I realized, I didn't know why, but I realized that I was feeling discouraged. I was feeling disappointed. I was feeling uh, uncontent. I was just disappointed, and I couldn't, I couldn't say why. And I remember uh, telling my wife, Nicole, I said, I don't, I don't know what's going on, but I feel this way. And she said, oh, you're probably just tired. So we went to bed. I didn't sleep very well. And the next morning, I, I felt the same way. I had no idea why, but something was going on in my heart. Something was going on in my mind. I was just not feeling good. And I remember my wife left for work, and I was about to step out the door to go, and I just felt God, I actually felt God demanding me to sit down and to maybe spend a little time reevaluating and questioning and opening up my own heart and examining what was at the center of my own heart. And within a period of an hour, I, I felt God reveal to me that the reason why I was discouraged and disappointed and a little worried was because I was allowing what happened the night before, that stupid, silly thing that happened the night before, I was allowing that to really make myself second-guess my own abilities. But more importantly, I realized that I cared too much about, my, about how much other people liked me. 
or I worried, I realized that I was worrying too much about my performance, my success as a youth pastor. I had allowed myself to be centered around me and think, uh, somehow make my ministry about me. And in the process of an hour, I just saw God just try to reshift. I saw God take the reins of my life and try to pull and tug on them and redirect what I should be looking at. To remember that my job isn't to make parents happy or students happy or to make anyone happy. My job and everything I do is to serve God and please him. And I was getting worried because I, I was focusing on something else. I think as Christians that we have to constantly evaluate our hearts. We have to constantly evaluate what is the hub of my life. What am I seeking after right now? What are the things I treasure right now? What is at the hub of your life? What are the things you're looking after? What are the things you're seeking after? Is it really God's kingdom right now? Or is there something else? Is there something that you're secretly seeking after? I think whatever we do, we have to ensure that God remains the center of that. Uh, I think uh, one of the... Excuse me. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, I have to ask myself, too, though, what does it actually mean for God to be the center of my life? Um, And I think the verse that pops up into my mind is uh, what Paul says in Colossians 3.23. He writes, uh, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. I think to have Jesus at the center of our lives means that we are not seeking to please anyone in this world. Not our neighbors, not our coworkers, not our bosses, not even ourselves. But in everything we do, we are seeking to please God. We're seeking to, to lift up the kingdom. We're working toward the end of God's righteousness. For the reign of God's righteousness. Uh, whether we're folding laundry at our house whether we're doing dishes for our wife, whether we're a fireman or we're an engineer, whether we're a teacher, whatever we do, cleaning our house or sweeping and mopping the boys' dorm at summer camp, whatever we do, we do it for for God and not for men, not to please man. Uh, But we cannot forget Like, Jesus gives us a very, very powerful promise in this passage. If we look back at at the verse, he says, Seek first his kingdom. Then he says, And all these things will be added to you. The promise of Jesus is that when we seek God's kingdom, we will be taken care of. That God will take care of us in our highs and our lows in life, in the, in the best periods of our life and the worst periods of our life. And one of the things we have to cling to is that we are happiest. We are most fulfilled. We find the most joy when God's kingdom is served. I, I think of Paul's words in Romans 8.28 where he says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. We serve a God whose purpose is best for all those who love him. 
that God's kingdom is the most true, the most righteous, the most rewarding, the most fulfilling thing we can serve. The promise of Jesus is that we will be taken care of in this world and in the next. What I want us to do is as we, as we leave today, as we go on uh, into to our jobs tomorrow, as we wake up in the morning and we do whatever we do, whether we're a teacher, engineer, whether we stay at home, whatever we do, uh, we ask ourselves, who are we doing this for? That you evaluate who is at the hub or what is at the hub of your life. You ask yourself, are you really seeking God's kingdom in your life? Or do all your actions, does it, does it, is, it, is it apparent that all of your actions evolve around God and God's kingdom and God's righteousness? Pray with me. Heavenly Father God, we thank you for convicting us, for challenging us, for... Uh, for helping us discover the things that we're doing in our life that are not correct. And God, I ask that in the rest of this day and the rest of this week, you help us to find the things in our life that we are seeking more than we are seeking you. God, help us, invite us into a process of examining our own interests and our own passions and our own direction. God, give us a love for you and a love for your kingdom and your righteousness so that we desire to seek it above all else. We pray these things in your holy son's name. Amen.